0: You're be the one
1: but if you are a parent who's looking for formula right now, struggling to find what you need, you have a, even a rough guess of how long these shortages are going to last. What should parents be bracing for here? Well, we've already seen an increase in supply over the past couple of weeks. What we are seeing, which is an enormous problem, is hoarding. Uh, people hoarding because they're fearful. Uh, that is one element of it. And people hoarding because they are trying to profit off of fear, fearful parents.
0: I must object strongly to Jen Psaki there, and I will. Be honest, I don't think I'll miss her now that she is gone as the former White House press secretary. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, so good to be with you. Everything at TonyKatz.com and, of course, Rumble.com slash Tony Katz. No, the shortage is not due to hoarding. That much we can agree on. But is there anything else we can agree on? Are we really the people who are going to make baby formula shortages a political thing? And. Then I came across, it was actually sent to me on Twitter, at Tony Katz on Twitter. Someone sent me uh, a, a tweet of this story, Big Bottle, The Baby Formula Nightmare. This is a true crisis that is a long time coming. Thank the Baby Formula Monopoly, its partner at the Food and Drug Administration, and the Department of Agriculture. I'm like, all right, this could very well be my kind of story. And it's written by Matt Stoller. Now, I don't know Matt. And I went to where Matt uh, works as a research uh, uh, fellow. There, uh, he is. His exact title is 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 in research, uh, director of research. There it is. He's with the American Economic Liberties Project. I'm like, wait a second. I don't agree with the American Economic Liberties Project just on a baseline at all. I'm, I'm a fan of capitalism. They are a very, very, as as I know them, progressive tank. Yet here I am reading just just the headline. I'm like. I'm intrigued. Matt Stoller joins us right now. And and Matt, I think I I set a stage for where we may have some massive disagreements. But it would be very weird for me to think that we would have a disagreement on the idea that we should have formula on the shelves. So... uh, Give me an idea of, of what your Substack is saying here. Matt Stoller, S-T-O-L-L-E-R, mattstoller.substack.com. The story you're putting out about what you think the issue is regarding baby formula in the United States.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so the problem that we have with baby formula is sort of similar to the problems we have in lots of industries. Uh, which is that they're very—it's very consolidated, and the consolidation is a—you know—it's a—it's a policy choice. So there are there are three firms, but basically there's two firms that control the baby formula market. It's uh, it's Abbott Labs and and Mead Johnson, um, and then you have Nestle, which makes a little bit of it. But Abbott uh, controls about 43% of the baby formula market, and this is—it's really hard to get into baby formula if you are a new entrant, um, and so as a result. When you have a factory shutdown, like what you saw with Abbott Labs's factory in Sturgis, then it causes this huge shock to the system because there's just not enough formula and there's no one else who can come in and start producing really quickly. Um, there are other really serious problems because of the way that the government buys formula through the uh, Women, Infant and Children Family Program through the US Department of Agriculture. Uh, they, they, they effectively hand out um, monopolies for each state. So only effectively one manufacturer can sell in a state. And so you have about 34 states, which are Abbott states. And so Abbott has this shock. And now there are all of these shortages in these particular states. And so it's pretty difficult to move formula from where we might have some a little bit of extra to these states where there are shortages. And so this is really a policy problem that's related to consolidated markets, which is, you know, a function of a lack of antitrust uh, scrutiny and then regulatory choices at the FDA and at the um, at at the USDA. So
0: I I would state just from from that Opening argument that uh, the the issue certainly is it, is an FDA or a regulatory issue, an agency uh, issue, kind of conversation. What what brought about, as as you relate it, the idea that only certain people can be allowed in certain markets to create baby formula, and why specifically is baby formula under this level of scrutiny? Because if I want to make barbecue sauce, Matt, I can just go about making barbecue uh, barbecue sauce. Tony's barbecue sauce can be on every shelf in every state across the nation tomorrow.
1: Well, good luck convincing Walmart to carry your barbecue sauce. Well, that's a Whoa, that's, that's a different conversation. Right
0: it can be. There's <laughs> there's not a there's not an FDA barrier. That's my
1: point. No, that no, that's I, I, I take your point. I'm just uh yeah. No, you're right about that. And um <laughs> uh what baby formula is not like barbecue sauce, it's not like a snack bar. This is, you know, really hard stuff to make and uh and because babies Require very specific; they have very specific nutritional needs. And if you don't feed them what they what they need, they starve. And before we invented baby formula in the 1800s, that was pretty common. If you couldn't breastfeed, um, a lot of babies just starved at very high infant mortality. And so, baby formula is this kind of miraculous thing that we sort of invented, um, and you know can can feed can feed babies. Um, and there are extremely detailed regulations on how to make baby formula. Congress wrote the infant formula act of 1980 and have updated it a few times, but they're very strict about what goes into baby formula and how it's produced. And, and you know, rightfully so, right? I mean, these are the most vulnerable uh, people at a very vulnerable stage in their lives. They need very specific nutrients. So you need to have strict regulation to make sure that they're not getting poisoned. And that's, um, you know, that, that's why there's strong regulation. The, issue is, you know, there's a lot of problems with how the regulation actually happens, though, because if you're trying to get into the market and you want to adhere to that regulation, it can take you five years to get into the market. If you can even find a contract manufacturer, which there's a regulatory schema for those as well. But if you're an incumbent, right, like if you're Abbott Labs, and and let's not let Abbott Labs off the hook here, right, because they just, you know, they were falsifying records, they had like dirty equipment, Um, they have huge lobbying operations, but they were also in a sort of quasi partnership with the FDA, because the FDA, you know, their inspectors are like, oh, Abbott Labs, that's a good company, you know, that we can trust them. And so even though there were a series of um, indications that their Sturgis factory was a mess, um, that th- that's the sort of mindset among, among regulators. And it's also the mindset among members of Congress in both parties. They tend to trust companies where there's where they're well-branded companies, even if those companies are are, are not, don't deserve that trust. So this is a this is a broad problem where you have regulators that have a certain mindset about risk and resiliency. And then you have corporations that, you know, don't the, the leadership of those corporations. They're folk. They're not focused on actually delivering goods and services. They're focused on pricing power.
0: Talking to Matt Stoller, he does work as the director of research for the American Economic Liberties Project. The FDA part gets confusing because it's the FDA that shut down this uh, plant in Sturgis, and Abbott's argument is that the FDA is keeping it shut down, and they make the claim that the FDA reporting states that the the reason for the shutdown was two infants died, supposedly it was a bacteria that was trace back to this plant abbott is saying that the fda report clearly shows that it wasn't them but if there was dirty equipment i don't know it i'll, I'll take your word for it but I, I would look for also some backup on the reporting on that uh and I'm, I'm just because i would do that but if if that was the case and everything is now cleaned, why don't we open up the the plant what's the argument for still keeping this one plant that clearly produces a tremendous amount of formula closed
1: yeah, no, I don't. I don't have an answer. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. Is the answer? Um, but I will say that I. I don't think that Abbott is. I wouldn't trust Abbott's CEO or, or the Abbott officials on this. I mean, baby formula, though it's supposed to be regulated heavily. You know, uh, the Healthy Babies Bright Futures, which is a a research institute, and Congress found this as well. Found it in baby formula. Every single baby formula they tested had detectable levels of arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury. These are neurotoxic; they interfere with brain development. They cause permanent IQ reductions in children. I mean, this is a really bad regulatory schema, and Abbott is is an absolutely uh, is terrible what they do. So, and and the, the thing to understand about these the the, it's, the problem this is a consolidation problem, right? Because there's nowhere else to go. So, if you're if you want a better baby formula or different baby formula or, you know, you, you really don't have any choices. And the brand, there's a lot of different brands, but they're all owned by basically two companies, maybe three if you squeeze in Nestle in there. They have some share of the market. So this is, you know, the other thing about, about the the nutritionals piece of Abbott is that it's a relatively small portion of the company. And that's true for Mead Johnson, as well. So the CEO of Abbott, you know, he really cares more about medical devices and really doesn't pay that much attention to baby formula. And you can see that because the avid people, like there's no one really paying attention to making sure that the factory is work- is working. And so what, you know, everybody's worked in a big company knows this. It's like when no one really cares and there's no actual leadership, you know, then like things go wrong. And then you're like, ah, we'll just fudge this form here. We'll just do this. they will cut corners there. Yeah, it doesn't matter if the guy on the floor is touching this thing and shouldn't, you know. And then all of a sudden you have, A huge problem. And that's what happened here. And there's just a lack of focus within these corporations because they're too big and they have too much market power. So when they screw up, there's no way to discipline them because there's nowhere else that consumers can go well
0: i I would argue that that is possible what had happened here but i don't believe that that is the standard operating procedure of every corporation in the country but you brought up something that i I i'm new to which is the idea of the rebating uh, uh system uh state agencies use a complex rebating system to give the contract for the entire state to one manufacturer and that contract can only be changed once every four years so give me the
1: 60 second breakdown of how that works Right. So what happens is that that if you're so this is a women, infant and children um, uh, program from USDA, which covers about roughly half of the formula sold in the in the United States. And what they do is they say they give um, they give money to uh, to mothers who are under a certain income threshold. And then they will go to a a state agency and say, we're going to give you the um, uh, you have to bargain and set an auction with the three baby formula makers or four baby formula makers. And then whichever one gives you the biggest rebate, that's the one that those mothers can buy. And then because that's about half the market, no one in the state wants to stock anyone else because what's the point? You're foreclosing, you know, half the market, they can only buy that one brand. And then the rebating system is one where, you know, the state gets a bunch of money back, right? So there's a, there's a lower cost for the women, for the state agency and the women who are on the WIC program. But if you're not on the WIC program, you know, what these companies do is they then jack the price up for, for, for effectively everyone else. And that's, you know, the, the, the bigger problem here is that it creates this monopolized system. So if you're in California, um, just make that up, um, you know, you can, you basically, you can only find Abbott formula, right? So when there's a, or Missouri would be a good example, when there's an, a, a problem, Right. And let's say there is there is enough formula, which, you know, there has been high production at the other facilities. It's actually really hard to get it into states where Abbott is the sole provider, because the whole system is set up to let you only buy from Abbott. And it's like, okay, let's say that Nestle can make a bunch more. They might be able to move it into the state, but then you have to change all the forms and change all the bureaucracy to allow people to buy that new brand. And that's just those are just bureaucratic hurdles that are a result of this really stupid way of auctioning off the of doing these pricing, which is this weird rebate system.
0: Talking to Matt Stoller, MattStoller.substack.com. He is the director of research for the American Economic Liberties Project. Uh, what I find interesting in, in in this conversation is is that you and I would both say that we we don't favor uh, the concept of of monopolies of people not being able to via government not being able to get into a marketplace. However, you and I would disagree uh, vociferously on the idea of price gouging, as I am a believer that there is no such thing. I believe I can back it up. I can fight that uh, conversation uh, left, right, and center. But this, the, the idea that people can't get into the market is is going to going to bother some people and one of the things that I'm going to be looking into as you wrote this and we take a look down the road at where the creation of formula is and there was a conversation about defense production act i've asked the questions you know here locally on my local shows and and, and the more national shows you mean five restaurateurs can't get together and create formula for people we had formula before it went on the shelves people did feed their kids and uh society did indeed move forward i'm not saying it was perfect i'm saying it was the option and it moved forward is there a conversation of when formula is going to be readily back on the shelves
1: I mean, I think it probably will start to get back on the shelves in, you know, first of all, it's not a shortage everywhere, right? So there are, there are places where it's, you know, it's harder to get, but you can get it. And then there are places where it really isn't available. And I, so I think what's happening is there's sort of a crack. I, I imagine it's like it's kind of a mess. Nobody knows what's going on, but like they're going to start to move formula to where it needs to go. They're, they're amping up production now. So I think this is going to, this is sort of a one-time disruption that is going to get resolved. Um, and you know I'm I'm not worried about this. Well, obviously it's a horrible situation for for people with infants who can't get formula, especially specialized formula, because the Sturgis plant was making specialized formula. A lot of that for kids with um, you know who have gastrointestinal problems or allergies, things like that. So that's really. Um, but, but I, you know, we'll get over this, but what this indicates is that I think what we see in our economy is that these shortages are now routine. So there's about 150 pharmaceuticals that are in shortage for very similar reasons. If you, any doctors or people who work in hospitals now know they just can't get certain drugs, simple drugs, right? There, you know, we remember nurses that, that were wearing, you know, garbage bags at the beginning of the pandemic because there wasn't access to PPE. There's shortages of cat food. There's shortages across the economy. And I think what you and I probably agree on is that when you consolidate power in a market into the hands of a few firms, and I don't think corporations are any one thing. I mean, I don't think all corporations are greedy or whatever. I just think that when you consolidate and you only have a few firms doing something, if one of those firms gets in trouble, then you're going to have the problem of shortages, which we're seeing kind of pervasively across the economy. And that that is a monopoly problem. It is a result of a lack of the ability of new firms to enter a market over a long period of time. And then existing firms, because they don't have real competition, they get lazy and they, they cut capacity. And that's just the way that uh, healthy market systems are not supposed to operate. And we have to get back to making sure that our markets are actually open and healthy so that we have resiliency in these systems. Matt,
0: uh, I'm unfortunately up against uh, the break. Matt uh, Stoller, uh, we're going to agree and disagree about that last point. American Economic Liberties Project. I appreciate taking the time. Matt I'm Tony Katz.